0: My mission, and this was the goal I wrote when I was 16, I want to do whatever I want with whomever I want, when whenever I want it, without money being my limiting factor. It was very hard. But do you know when I really hit my first million? I did not hit my first million when I was 38. I hit my first million when I was 32, because I made decisions then, and I was saving so aggressively that by then I already had 300000 In savings
1: Mm -hmm.
0: in a way of getting to the numbers i mean anyone can become a millionaire with enough time and interest you know i i had advised a couple of friends who were getting into a better boat and said this is how i did it but they weren't you know uh, there's there's a phrase that i learned from a real estate investor in one of the real estate groups in columbus which was you make choices others won't so you can have choices others can't
2: you're listening to The Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation.
1: Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of The Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 248. This week, we have Bob. He has a net worth of $3.5 million. Works in IT, came to the United States in 1997 with just $800 in his pocket. He's worked his way up the corporate ladder. He's a very diversified portfolio, and all of his debt, including his real estate, has paid off. We discussed various topics with him, including credit card points and credit card churning, which is not something that we have uh, really covered very often on this show. Getting into an interesting conversation uh, with him about that and life optimization and a bunch of other things. Last so week we had TJ, he had a net worth of $9.5 million. in his 50s, a couple of businesses in the environmental and lending space. If you've got a question for any of our millionaires, you can go ahead and submit a, a question uh, or email us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com and we will uh, ask some upcoming millionaires or maybe Clark and I will take a stab at that a, a, as well. So without any further delay, let's get into the episode this week with Bob. Bob, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now?
0: Yep, you know, came to America uh nineteen ninety seven, two bags, eight hundred dollars, and uh worked my way up the corporate ladder and I'm currently uh starting to travel again after the COVID experience. That's pretty much it.
2: Awesome. And what is your net worth today?
0: Three point five million.
2: Wow, and how is that broken up?
0: That's broken up about uh six hundred thousand is it in uh primary and secondary residents. Uh, another uh, six hundred thousand is it in in real estate syndications. Four hundred ninety six thousand is in taxable accounts. Six hundred and seventy six in four hundred one k, mainly in uh, VSCIX, SWPPX, VPITX. Um, I mean, unlimited there because you know four hundred one k's don't let you choose the funds you'd normally you'd want to. Um, and then eight hundred forty-eight thousand in one rollover IRA from our previous 401k, um, which is a, a mix of equities and mutual funds. Uh, my actual highest equity I own, because I've been doing it since Microsoft was uh, in the 90s, um, is I have about one hundred and forty-five thousand in Microsoft across accounts. But I've got you know ninety-four k in VXUS, fifty-one k in VTRIX. Uh, some in VTI, twenty k in BIV, um, and then I have eighty three thousand in Roth IRA, thirty one thousand in a uh, Roth IRA I created for my spouse. More Microsoft, Google, Amazon there, and you know I have a uh, forty one thousand in HSA. So that's high
2: level. Well, wow, that's pretty awesome. Is is all the the residences are those paid off?
0: Yes, I have no debt whatsoever. I think I have about four thousand dollars in credit card debt right now. I pay it off fully every month. I just you know. Uh, I want to hack my frequent flyer miles as much as possible. So I, I charge a lot of things to credit card and then just pay them off and pull every month, but no debt.
2: How much – let me just ask this just because it, it, it has been brought up recently, but it, I know it's one of those things in the personal finance community that, that people cuss and discuss. How much do you use those points and miles and stuff either for travel or or something else? Is that something you use annually or quarterly or monthly?
0: I generally save them up, but I'll give you an example. Just before COVID, I told my work, I was taking two months off, uh, traveling. And they said, what if you don't want to, what if we don't want that? And I said, well, I'm taking two months off. I just might not be coming back to you. And, uh, they said, take the two months off. <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, used it fly, uh, first class to Thailand, where I spent a month building a school in rural Thailand. I went to Ecuador working with drug addicts. All of that were with points. So, I don't generally um spend them quarterly or something like some people do. I save them up and then, you know, I'm on a 12-hour flight or I, you know, last three times I've popped back to visit my parents in England, I've used points. Um so I I use them consistently, um but I generally save them up for big trips. If it's under $300, under $400, I'll just pay for the 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 trip. Um because I really want to use the points on
2: higher value uh, transit mm-hmm. for me. Interesting. So you're mainly using those to kind of upgrade airline tickets mainly, flying first class overseas type thing?
0: I mean, mainly. I mean, I'd get the entire ticket with points, including the, the upgrade. Yeah, totally. So, you know, you can get thirty to 50,000 points. will get you to Europe or somewhere once you're into the, the first class class business class you're talking one hundred and twenty thousand points for some of the asian flights and things totally so
2: do do you do you kind of churn to try to get those points or you just use and spend once a year and that's kind of what you get
0: i i do do some churning now but not frequently it's just not there's a time value of money you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and 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 for me it's i travel a lot i don't want to mess it up um for work well I did pre covid and as a result the churning just becomes difficult with my lifestyle to do totally. but you know when the first chase Alpha I came out I signed up for it got the bonus points right now I've I've been doing something stupid you know you learn things on your journey recently is my the company I worked for was acquired a couple of years ago and I had a lot of bonuses with my amex that that company issued the new company doesn't have those bonuses, so I have an Amex where I'm not really, I'm not getting points on or anything, but I'm still charging stuff too. So I just swap that out with a a, a different Chase bank card, so I get one point five percent cut uh, cash back on all my company purchases. I could have been doing that for the last two years or three years. I didn't. That's probably a, you know a shortfall on my side. But I look at things like that going, okay, well, I'm already expending this. Is there a way to do it more efficiently? Totally. And I think when it comes to churning and getting points, especially if you have a job which requires business expenses, you should look at it and go, okay, is there a way I can use this to improve my life? I'm always, this is one little thing which gets me. So I have a, a bunch of people who work for me in my current role and they, they always go, well, I want to pay rise. And I go, well, that's very interesting. Our company, you know, refunds your internet connection and has during over COVID and before. Why haven't you claimed that expense? Because let's say your internet is 100 bucks a month for a year, you know, 1200 bucks. You know, these guys are engineers. That's a nice little pay rise you could have given yourself. I'm always surprised about the, fr- the things that companies offer people and the freebies they don't take, either in refunds memberships, things like that. It's
2: an easy win. Yeah, totally. Has your real estate always been paid off or is that something that that has been done recently?
0: No, I two thousand eight I paid off the first one. I moved into a duplex, rented out one side, you know, house hacking back in the day. I paid too much for that property. One of the things I learned, paid too much. You make your money on purchase price. And then I paid it off in two thousand seven, purchased another one in two thousand eight from a bank as the properties were going to, um, then ended up being overseas for a while. And then while I was overseas, paid that one off. And uh, I'm I'm fairly conservative. I could have made more money if I wasn't, if I leveraged more. But I feel for me, it's the peace of mind, having seen you know, 2000, 2008, of going, look, the income from those cover my base expenses. You know, I'm I'm operating from a position where I have security, uh, and that's good for my my mental well-being. So, how much cash flow from real estate then? Uh, right now, because I've just sold 1031 my properties this year and moved into syndication, I'm about twenty five hundred net per month. Um, that, that's from the syndications you said. From the syndications, because I 1031 my my and my rentals into syndications this year.
3: Okay. So looking at your portfolio here, Bob, you're pretty well diversified. You've you've got the primary and the second home. You've got real estate syndications. You've got the taxable account. You've got retirement accounts. You've got, I know, some cash, a big chunk of cash too, right? Yep. How did this allocation come to be? Is, Is this something you set up intentionally? Did it just happen this way? What are your thoughts on how the allocation came?
0: So I planned it. First of all, you know, I'm, I'm big into writing goals and achieve, and doing things. I knew that I would want to max out things like my 401ks as much as possible. But I realized that the natural hedge to that was real estate. And my family was in real estate. And um, I know lots of people in real estate. So I planned out that journey. I did not plan out all the equities that I have in that uh, when the market downturned, like in 2008, I purchased equities. When the downturn happened, I, in, when the market fell last year, I had some cash on the sidelines and I bought into the market. I've often felt that when people are starting to panic, that's your buying opportunity because things will recover. I don't need the money immediately. It's a five-year you know, downtime if you look at 1929. So the strategy of how it's diversified, real estate and the stock market, is planned the individual investments in those items are more or irregular for one of these things when i started doing stocks i started i used a uh, value investing model and i would only buy you know stocks which were undervalued in the market but produced a dividend one of the reasons that i've ended up with a lot of microsoft that way if the stock didn't recover for a period of time i would at least be able to receive cash flow I've, I've modified that where i just don't buy equities anymore i buy the more like the boggle do which is a which is a, a change i made about uh seven years ago okay
3: so let's back up here and, and get into your story it's it's so interesting and you sent us a little note beforehand and i reread it so how did all this start you were born overseas raised mostly over there you said you came to the u.s in your young 20s talk to us about your childhood
0: so i was um, I, I was born in Asia and I uh, went to boarding school in the UK. Um, my father was uh worked for an airline company there which paid about ninety percent of the boarding school expenses, which were extortionately expensive. Um but my father grew up in the backwoods of Africa. Um and and uh he wanted he said, or he said, you know, I'm gonna give you the best education money can buy and then you'll get nothing. And um so he he gave me every summer, he gave me and my, my brothers uh, uh things it's like the richest man in Babylon, we had a financial book we had to read every holiday. He also did uh, bought purchase, purchased property in Hong Kong and then sold it um, when the family then when they decided to move back to England and then he lost all his money. You know he put all the, the his money in a business. it wasn't working. He put more money into it. You know that's an important lesson there, which is you know don't chase sunk costs, trying to make it healthy. And and so when I was uh fifteen or so, you know, at that point my my family did not have a lot of money at all. And uh I managed to get into university, did completed my degrees, realized at that point dating in America and I was gonna come over to America, and uh, you know, packed up paid off uh some debts I had in England, like a postgraduate student loan, um, by working nights um for American Express selling insurance. So I worked days for the Ministry of Defense and nights uh, for American Express, and then, you know, packed up my two bags and flew to America, two bags, $800. So interesting, interesting time.
2: (laughs) That's pretty
3: amazing. And so you, so your parents lived in Hong Kong and you went to school in London.
0: I I my parents lived in Hong Kong. I went to school in Bath and I spent probably about eight to 10 weeks a year back with my parents.
3: Okay. So then you came to the States, young 20s, got married, and and what happened from there?
0: And then my wife became disabled. Um, But yeah, she never worked. She was a student. And then she started having problems and uh, couldn't work. So it was on me. Uh, Immigration messed up my paperwork. So at the time, I could only work about three or four weeks at a time before having to visit the immigration office. And if you, if you think getting a job is hard, try it when you can go. I can only work for three weeks on a temporary visa. So it took about six, eight months, even though I was on a fiance visa to fix that. So I, I tempt, I tempt for those. I tempt in England for like two years working for the Adeco, the manpower. And I actually think that was an awesome experience. And then I tempt in America for uh, six months because my uh, parents had made me do typing courses over summer. I typed at 120 words per minute so any office clerical job i could do i'd worked as a computer artist for a while and so i came to america and uh i have a degree in economics 146 credit hours i believe in the american system according to the ohio state university and so i i uh tempt for a little while and then i decided to teach myself computers and uh you know, I didn't want to work in the field of economics. I hated economics, the practice of it, work, you know, those jobs, but I loved economics academically. So, but I, I've always loved computers. So I taught myself computers every night, two to three hours a night after working. I would just study. You know, I taught myself a bunch of systems, everything I applied. I got a job on a help desk and this, you know, I needed benefits desperately for my, uh, for my wife. So I uh, took a pay cut. Moved to a government job, which had better benefits and paid for the surgeries she needed. Um, And that moved me to Columbus, Ohio. And then after three years of that. And you you were how old at that point? I was, well, she was 20. I was 23 when she was disabled. And at 26 or something, I think I moved to, uh, or 27, I moved to Columbus.
3: Um, Okay. And making about what you shared with us about 34 grand a year?
0: I was making 37 in Cincinnati and 32 in Columbus when I took that pay cut. And I, I used, uh, I mean, I was paying off the, all throughout this time, um, the minimum I've ever saved is 10% of my paycheck. I've always saved 10%. I, I remember this time when we were in, and wh- when I say we were, we struggled in Cincinnati, I have to point this out. We lived in an area where the drug dealers were on side, one side of our, the apartment we lived and the drug addicts were on the other side and, <laughs> and and they would do transactions on our lawn. And this, you know, we decided to move. I, I managed to move us in Cincinnati to another place. And it was about six blocks away, but above a state liquor agency. So it had security cameras, a guard dog. It was much safer. And I went over to the drug addicts um and said and who opened the door very blurry and I said, Could you help me move this couch? You know, carry it the three blocks and up the three flights of stairs of this old Victorian. And they said, What's in it for us? And I said, A bottle of Southern Comfort. And uh, we we got it up to a bottle and a half of Southern Comfort because they may not have been old enough. And uh, they carried my couch um, uh, three and a half blocks. And I will say, if you have people carry furniture, people who are high, who don't feel pain, don't complain as much. Um, it was really quite interesting. <laughs> But then, you know, I moved ended up in Columbus and uh you know, worked for the government. But one of the things was this was two thousand now, is that we were working insane hours, but they wouldn't pay overtime. So I negotiated with the government to give me comp time in lieu of overtime. And they'd give me as much comp time as I want. I would get basically comp time as time and a half. When I left the state, so when I left the government After two years, I'd picked up a bunch of certifications um, because I'd spend my evenings continuing, getting up at five in the morning, working a full day, ten to twelve hours days, then studying at night. And when I left the government, when because I had all this comp time back then, it cashed out. So I basically had one check which looked like I made one hundred and forty thousand a year. I didn't, and I took all that money and used it to. Uh, pay off the remaining debts and working for the government, taking advantage of corporate benefits. They had a deal with a credit union. I'd got a consolidated loan, consolidated my wife's credit cards, those things. And I used that, that leaving the government and cashing out the vacation time as a way to pay off all that debt. I've never used found money, bonuses, tax refunds, anything else as anything other than savings vehicles. Um, it's found money. If I wanted to, to take a treat, I would take a percentage of it, like 10%, and say, okay, that's ours to play with. Um, the rest
2: goes to, um, savings and investment. Bob, how old were you when you hit your first million? I
0: think I was actually 38. My first million took me 14 years, my seven, my third took me four, and, um, I reckon about two and a half, it's going to be my, my fourth. Um, yeah, it's compound interest in, in action. It was, it was very hard. But do you know when I really hit my first million? I did not hit my first million when I was 38. I hit my first million when I was 32 because I made decisions then and I was saving so aggressively that by then I already had 300,000 in savings.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it was a way of getting to the numbers. I mean, anyone can become a millionaire with enough time and interest. So, you're, I mean,
2: the millions are rolling. The, the time it's taking you is halved every single time now. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So, when you're looking back at what you've done and, and the journey that you've been on, the decisions that you made, like you said, at 30, you're already a millionaire because you had 300 stacked away. Was that something at that time that was pretty weird or abnormal? I mean, were your peers in that same boat or were you kind of the only one that had that?
0: None of them were none, none of them. You know, I I had advised a couple of friends who were getting into a better boat and said, this is how I did it, but they weren't, you know, uh, there's, there's a phrase that I learned from a real estate investor in one of the real estate groups in Columbus, which was you make choices. Others won't. So you can have choices. Others can't. And we would look at stuff and I, you know, I think you have to um, associate a value to money emotionally so when you look at a pair of shoes and it's $20, is that two hours of your life? Because there was a time in my life when that was three and a half hours of my life to buy a $20 pair of dollars. Was it worth three and a half hours of my life to buy that? Mm-hmm. Um, because that and the difference to me, I have a friend who I advise money that, um, the, to imagine that she's really into cute for fluffy animals. So I go imagine a dollar is a bunny. Every time you, you spend $5, you've killed five bunnies. And that one, One's a better analogy because if you leave bunnies alone, they go into the field and make more bunnies. But but that thing about you make choices, others won't. So you can have other choice, choices, others can't, has always stuck with me. And most of my peers weren't willing to make those choices.
2: Do you think you could have backed off and still gotten pretty close to where you are with compounded interest since you had so much to begin with?
0: I could have, but I've always... Yeah, it's very hard. Like My income is now very good, and I don't think people should judge that because the end of my journey is not where people are. If you're in the middle or the beginning of your journey, you're not necessarily where I am. You know, I've planned out my career. The I, I think the, the side of that question is, yes, I would have, because I always, you know, lived on for the 10 years from, from coming to America – to 36 i lived on the same amount of money Mm -hmm. my income at that time dramatically went up i didn't change what i lived on everything else everything extra went into savings and investments so could i have backed off yes but i would have just consumed more you know the and i I think you know there are terms are available now that we didn't use when i was when i was 20 um, like uh, conscious consumption, you know, where you go, oh, I want to spend more on this, but I want to spend, you know, and I'll spend less on this. That was never a thing for me. I just did it naturally where going, oh, I want to play a video game. Well, I can't go out, out and eat. I lived within my boundaries. Hey, did that answer the
2: question? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, what I'm trying to get at, too, is just, I mean, have you been able to flip that switch of from – Going from, you know, saving and grinding to now that your income has grown to spending a little bit more or, or enjoying, you know, I think a lot of times people get this mentality that it's grind, 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 grind until I'm retired. But a lot of people reach that goal or that thing they're saving for or investing for way earlier and, and sometimes ride past by it. And I'm just wondering I, where you are, you know, on that path.
0: I i live more. I still save a tremendous amount because I know, I know, actually it's 87,000. 87,000 is my current expenses per year all in. And that includes flying my parents over from England every year. That is a tremendous lifestyle because I remember when, when I worked in Cincinnati, I would used to eat mac and cheese every night. That's all we could afford. We had $25 a week for food. Um, that first year was extremely hard. And so I'm not in that scarcity mindset, but I am in. in, in I am in a comfort. So if I want to do something, I figure out: okay, can I do this? Is it reasonable? Do it cost effectively? Not that I don't do it. My mission, and this was the goal I wrote when I was 16. I want to do whatever I want with whomever I want when whenever I want it, without money being my limiting factor. So. For example, when I was 40, I rented a cabin, invited 10 friends we'd known for years, and we all went to um, a cabin in the woods together and had a great weekend. So no, I, I think I, I, I flipped enough of the switch that I enjoy my life. Could I be better? Yeah, I could. But, you know, it, it's, it's a balancing act. I don't feel I'm done yet
2: what what else is out there that that you're you know either looking to spend on or or like you said spending you know doing anything with whenever you want is there something out there is there a trip is there a, you know an experience that you're looking forward to
0: I mean so my 50th I'm I'm going to rent somewhere probably in Mexico or Belize uh I'm looking forward to taking my um some family members overseas again I think that's the one thing out of the COVID experience you should look at is your relationships and go, okay, uh, do these people matter to me? What do I want to share with them? I was very blessed using my points to fly my parents over. I've taken my mother to New Orleans, to parts of America and the world that they hadn't seen uh, and shared that experience. So I have very few things that I personally want, but I do have experiences that I would love to share with the people I love. And I, th- I think that's the, the best thing in the world, the, you know, and, and, and there, there are things I, I look forward to and, but I, I'm also, I don't want to say I'm a minimalist. I think I've grown that way as I got older, I have things of high value in my life, but I don't want the junk. I don't want like, I'm about to get rid of my motorcycle, which used to be my mindful exercise. And the reason I'm getting rid of it is I just don't write enough. It's starting to give me carpal tunnel. But I do have, you know, a little table from India made near in Agra from the Taj Mahal. I have a a Turkish silk carpet that I negotiated for in a bazaar in Istanbul. You know, I don't want people to think, oh, I saved, I saved. I didn't have experiences. No, I practice conscious consumption. I use points. I, you know, so, so for me and for 15 years. We shared a car, my spouse and I. You know, she would drop me off at the airport at 5 a.m. when I was flying to New York and pick me up at 11 p.m. on a Friday night at the end of the week. Um, because why have two car expenses? But on the other side, you know, we've, you know, we've negotiated for a carpet in Istanbul and a bazaar drinking coffee. So <laughs> I can't really say I've gone without that. So,
3: all right, let's take a quick break from the show and thank Gusto for sponsoring today's episode. A lot of people dream of having their own business. But by having their own business, that also means running their own business. If you're living your entrepreneurial dream but struggling with the tedious administrative tasks, whether it be HR, payroll, employee benefits, or anything else, let Gusto help. Gusto offers all-in-one payroll and HR for growing businesses. From full-service payroll and benefits to team management tools and more, Gusto makes it easy to support your hardworking team in one intuitive platform. Whether your team is in-person, remote, or a combination of both, with Gusto keeping your team on track is easy. So join the more than 200,000 new and growing businesses that are using Gusto to build a great workplace for their employees. Right now, Gusto is offering our listeners three months free at gusto.com slash unveiled. That's Gusto, G-U-S-T-O. Get easy payroll, benefits, HR, and a happier team. So go to gusto.com slash unveiled for your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unveiled. So thanks to Gusto for sponsoring today's show. Bob, people will often ask Jason and I, or if we're interviewed on other podcasts, or when they hear that we've interviewed all these millionaires, they'll say, hey, what's something you guys have learned? And I think one of the biggest things that we both go to is being aware and being intentional about life's decisions. And as I listen to your story, and as I read through, I, I think there, I don't know that we've had a millionaire on here that's been more intentional than you. And I just want to read a couple of parts of your story because I, I feel like, I mean, the intentionality and in working hard and grinding is really what got you here. Um, just, you know, you, you mentioned you're eating mac and cheese at night. Then you went, in, went and started working for the state government. You said you negotiated your time so that you could work overtime. Then you said, I know the state has a reliable job, but there are artificial income caps. So then you worked at it. You tried to find another job. Uh then you said I worked my butt off for four years, on call 24 hours, seven days a week. Every year I got raises and stock options because I was insane. I took no vacations. I just worked all the time. I would spend time learning every day. I picked up about six more certifications, so now I'm earning 78K. Um I did market analysis and I realized that moving into a specialized field gets me more money. So I take a job with an insurance company. They offer me 92K. I know a little bit about that, but I study a lot to learn. So I just read this whole story. I mean, starting at the beginning, right, when you were on a temp job to now having a great salary and everything in between. What drove you to keep going this whole time? Because it seems like you jumped around jobs, you were always strategizing to think where you could get to, how you could get to the next level, how you could get to the next thing. What drove you to do all this?
0: So a couple of a couple of really big things i mean one with jumping the jobs i want to say something never confuse the goals with the means there is never just one way to a goal and people get bound into this way going oh i have to do it this way why ask yourself a better question tony robbins which i did of course when i was younger you said you know was don't be afraid to ask questions um you know, ask yourself a better question well, what if I do this? What if I don't do it? Why am I doing this? Why did you do this now? So I always intentionally asked myself tough questions, questions where sometimes I didn't like the answer I gave myself. Um, so I wanted to get to a point where I was comfortable. Part of it, I mean, obviously having a spouse at the time who was incredibly medical problems, I mean, 20000 a year plus in medical expenses without benefits. With benefits, you know, it was, it was okay. The, so, so I felt a driven, a drive. And I think a lot of immigrants do is because there's no one to rely on. You know, there was no one for me to rely on. So that, that, that's not a good place, but I also wanted a better life. I wanted to move forward. So I intentionally designed a career and a path to move forward to where I could excel. I learned skills. I asked people. I said, you, look, you're at the top of your profession. How did you get there? I built relationships. Uh, you know, Finding mentors was huge. So I was driven to have a great life. But also, if I was going to exchange, and the biggest one, if I was going to exchange time for money, which is what I'm doing. I don't know how much time I have in my life. I'm exchanging time for money. I'm at best a prostitute i mean i hate to say that on you know on a, a podcast but I, <laughs> they're paying me to be in a certain place and do certain things you know let's normally morally not a gov- get above that they are time for money um so i'm s- literally spending my life away working for someone else and if i was going to do that as a intelligent person i want the best relationship To time value, I can get. So, why would I work at $4 an hour, $7 an hour? I think my first job in America was at six something an hour. Why would I work at that if I could potentially make $20 an hour, $24 an hour, $50 an hour, $65 an hour? You know, while you're in that question of going, hey, I'm exchanging time for money. You need to really ask yourself is, am I doing it as the most efficient way I can? And if not, am I okay with the reasons I'm not? I haven't jumped jobs in quite a while because I'm comfortable with the salary I'm making and the time it's, it's, it's giving up. You know, the, the pressure for me to do that. However, if things changed, maybe I would. Did that answer your question? That was uh, a yeah. Us- no, no,
3: it did. It absolutely did. And and yeah, let me just read one more thing here because I think this is exactly what you're talking about. You said I've had privilege in my wife in my life, but also been broke, desperate, hungry by myself and with a disabled partner. I had to figure out how to get a saver and spender work to get, how to how to get a saver and a spender to work together financially. Some ways worked and some didn't. I had to figure out how to pay large bills and get out of debt. I have had multiple failures, but I had one goal. And when the plan failed, I found another way to do it. I just I thought that was really motivating and really, really impressive. Just hearing about your background and coming to the States at a young age and having the trials that you had and and figuring out how to go about it. It's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. I, I think that when you're in the trenches and you're finding it hard and you're struggling to pay off that bill or do anything, you have to have faith. You have to have faith that you can make it because you will. Everyone who listens to this podcast, I have been, I I was married to a spender, you know, and how we got around that is we created a thing called the kitty. I would budget, you know, like 3% and then 5% of our money, give it to her in a cash envelope. She could go wild with it. So she felt she could spend up to the limit of the envelope. But I felt I knew that amount budgeted. But I believe that whatever situation you're in, however hard it is, You have to have faith and you just have to work through it. You have to put your nose to the grindstone and go, okay, well, maybe this week I'm only spending, I'm only saving $5. Maybe the next month you're only saving 10. You will get there. It's just going to take hard work, but you've got that. You've got the capability to do hard work because you wouldn't be listening to podcasts like this.
1: Right.
3: So I, I know Jay's talked about this a little bit in, in terms of how much you worked and work versus play and work-life balance a little bit. And, and I should have mentioned earlier when I was talking about that, that there were there were years that you traveled 50 weeks a year, right, to, to go work for clients. Yeah. So as you look back now on that travel and, and how you said you talked about not taking vacation as much and working on all these certifications, was it all worth it?
0: Yes, it was. I mean, without a doubt, it was. I I don't begrudge the the things I did at all. There is only one thing that I look at in my career and go, I was a complete uh, dumb. And there's a swear word at the end of it. And uh, that's when I had my gallbladder out. I took one day off work and then I walked into a client site. That is the only thing. <laughs> I I I think you were such an idiot. And that's the age in your body. I mean, I I remember going back to work. After I had a, I had a car accident, and a guy plowed into me at 65, and it, it wasn't pleasant. And within a week, I was back at work. And that one doesn't begrudge me. But I, I look back and I go, no, no, I don't. I don't regret what I did because my real hard work was for 10 years. And I've benefited in all the great things in my life are because of those 10 years of hard work.
2: So, Bob, just to wrap up here. I want to do some rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive pair of shoes you've ever purchased?
0: Um, Walking shoes. I was talked into them by someone. I want to buy them and they were $65. I tell a lie. I bought some Gore-Tex boots on sale. I have size 13 feet for $79 in their return after Christmas. Those are the most expensive shoes
2: I've ever bought. Okay. What's the most expensive uh, car you've ever purchased? My uh,
0: Toyota Highlander, thirty-two thousand, certified used.
2: <laughs> That's exactly what I just bought, <laughs> literally yesterday. What's the most expensive pair of pants you've ever purchased?
0: I have some travel tra- trousers, uh, which you know basically can take a beating and keep on ticking. And I think uh, they were like eighty dollars, but they they're a godsend. <laughs> um, interesting enough, they're from ex officio. I'll share this little story. Um, I also have a shirt from them and I was in Ecuador and a car went off a cliff in front of me and, uh, with five people in it and it got stuck on bamboo about 15, 20 feet down the sheer drop. And so I whipped off my ex officio shirt, lowered my guide over the cliffside with it and pulled the five people out of the car. So that shirt probably was most, my most expensive shirt I bought, like the, the pants, but considering there are five people in Ecuador alive because of it, I really don't begrudge the money. Yeah,
2: how much TV do you usually watch during the week?
0: I don't know. It varies. It varies too much. I mean, sometimes it's it's two hours a day. Um, sometimes it's nothing. I don't. Quite, I don't watch any um, of the series. I generally only watch something like Netflix. I'm not going to spend time watching ads. It's just not something I do.
2: Yeah. How many books do you read a year? Um, about 300. Wow. How do you have time for that many books? <laughs> uh, I uh, I was... Uh, You're reading about a, born, b- a book every day and a half or so?
0: Uh, pretty much, yeah. Sometimes two books a day. The, uh, <laughs> so so I was uh, born with a hearing condition. I have one of the first double, double tubules in Hong Kong. I didn't learn to speak and hear until I was five. And a side effect is I read quickly, but I loved reading. Hmm. And so... Uh, when I fly for work and everything, I read the entire time. Don't watch TVs on planes as a rule. I read. So on a plane flight, you know, if you just say, oh, you have eight to ten hours a week of dedicated reading, um, that changes you, yeah. changes your life. But I, I spend 30 minutes to an hour minimum every
2: day of reading. What do you splurge on?
0: I, I have a PS5 and an Xbox One, uh, the X, the new one. So probably gaming systems okay that's 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 probably my household system i i don't really splurge on anything else uh, expect experiences always once a quarter i have this rule that i must do something new i've never done before um so every quarter i do something I, i've never done before and i've done throwing axes to you know uh, a, a certain type of life-saving course to learning how to defend yourself from carjackers hmm. um, but I, I, uh, I, I look for weird stuff and, uh, that I've never done before. And I go do it, you know, rid of ridden horses that way. Um, just, just, you know, um, who moved my cheese, mm-hmm. uh, says people who adapt themselves to change, who to have regular change in their life are better able to survive change. And so one of the things I do is intentionally I plan change into my life.
2: What well, what's coming up for this quarter?
0: I have no idea what I'm going to do this quarter. Um, I had I was thinking about um, going and doing a vision quest in Arizona
1: hmm.
0: um, that I've never done, but they do have them out there, um, and that's something I've wanted to try, so I was thinking of considering
2: doing that. Interesting. What's something that you wish you would have known when you were maybe in your 20s or, or when you were just beginning your investing career that, that you would advise people to either watch out for or, or learn as early as they can?
0: I didn't have this, and I wish I'd known it, which is failure is not bad. Failure is not a judgment of character. If you you should plan to fail and plan to fail in the smallest way you possibly can to learn, I wish I'd known that because some of my best failures have taught me the most, whether I should do something or should not. And the time I spent locked in analysis paralysis could could have been sold by trying and accepting failure would have been tremendous but fail forward
2: awesome well bob appreciate you coming on the show today net worth of 3.5 million dollars came here with nothing built wealth up to three and a half million dollars and only going to grow from there thanks for coming on the show today
3: thank you thanks bob
2: thanks for listening to the millionaires unveiled
0: podcast with clark sheffield and chase mantinson For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at
1: millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.